If you have your Bible with you tonight, let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Tonight we come to the fifth commandment, the fifth commandment. And so we will read verses 1 through 12 and uh, bring us up to see what that fifth commandment is. Exodus 20 verse 1, God spake these words saying, I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Verse number 12, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Let's pray. O Lord, it is our privilege and our honor to sit before you and to study your word. Lord, we rejoice in the salvation that you have given to us through Christ. We want to express our praise to you tonight uh, through our singing and through our praying. And Lord, now we want to draw near to you through your word. We want to hear your word. We want to hear your heart. We want to hear your will for our lives. And so, Father, I pray and ask that you would just take this scripture and make it alive in our souls this evening. And Lord, that we might realize the value that is contained in this passage of scripture, the implications that it has not just for parents, but for us as Christians. And I pray and ask, Lord, that you would empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit and use me to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the first commandment on the second table of the law. And you might be getting tired of me saying this by now, but we have to understand that the Ten Commandments are divided into two divisions. The first table are the first four commandments, and they have to do with our vertical relationship, how we relate to God. There's one God. We have no other gods before him. We don't make any graven image, and uh, we don't take his name in vain, and we remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, That's the first table of the law, and that governs how man was to relate to God but then there's a transition that takes place here beginning in verse 12 and this is what is called the second table of the law or the second division of the law and it has to do with our horizontal relationships how do we relate to other 
people. Uh, Jesus himself said that there were two divisions to the law when he said that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. And so you get that same summary. It's the vertical relationship and it's the horizontal relationship. This one is first. You have to have this one right for that one to be right. If this relationship is not right, then you're going to have problems in these relationships. And so vertical, horizontal relationships, this is the first commandment on the second table. I believe that it is significant that the first item on this list is not killing, adultery, or stealing. Those are yet to come, but they're not the first. This is divinely ordered. And so when we read these Ten Commandments, we need to understand that they weren't arranged by Moses. They were simply recorded by Moses. They were arranged by God, and God gave them in the order that he wanted them to be delivered. And so the very first law on the second table is not against killing, stealing, or uh, committing adultery, but it is to honor and obey father and mother. That's the first foundational law that he gives in these horizontal relationships although logically and progressively it does make sense if I'm just going to step back and say well why didn't God start with the big one first I mean I mean surely murder's got to be top of the list just don't kill people and let's start from there and work our way down but when you think about it there is a logical progression that happens here and it makes sense as to why he would start with children honoring and obeying their parents because I dare say that murderers adulterers and thieves did not start out that way I imagine that they started out dishonoring and disobeying parents that before they got to those major crimes there was rebellion in their heart already and it was expressed in things such as uh, disobedience and dishonor to their parents God's promise for those who keep this commandment was long life in fact the New Testament gives this com this commentary it says it's the first commandment given with the promise and God's penalty for those who broke this commandment was death if you would, hold your place there in Exodus and uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21. If you want to see how serious God is about this, in fact, if you want to consider how serious God is about all of his laws, all of the laws could be executed with a death penalty except for covetousness. And so you might say, well, I, I didn't think that stealing carried with it a death penalty. Well, not explicitly, but when he has explained the law, he says if somebody is stealing and, and they get caught and they get injured and they die, then, then they got what they deserve. The person who killed them in that act will not be punished for it. But the others had an explicit punishment of death for violating them. So if you made a graven image, you could be executed for that. We saw that taking the Lord's name in vain could bring execution. Uh, here we find in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 21 that if someone violated this law of dishonoring and disobeying parents that it could uh, be enforced by the death penalty. Deuteronomy 21 18, if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, 
and bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all of the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put away evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And so as we look at that text of Scripture, that might seem harsh. In fact, I had a discussion with a preacher once, and, and he said that he thought that Moses put that in there. He says, you know, I, I, think, I don't think God said that. I think, I think Moses was just saying that because he is frustrated with those people. Now, hold on a minute. That's undermining our belief in the inspiration of Scripture. I, I believe that God inspired Moses to pen these words. But there are a couple of things that we've got to take into consideration. One is that you never actually see that, that it's never recorded that that punishment was put into practice. We, we don't ever find parents actually taking their children to the council of the elders to be stoned for their disobedience. It, it was an option. It could be done, but we never have it recorded that it was done. So we don't know that it was ever enacted, if you will. The other is that when you read this text, you've got to realize this is not a seven-year-old boy they're talking about. Right? He's a drunkard and a glutton, it says. And so whatever age this kid is in this text that can be taken and given the death penalty for the rebellion and their stubbornness was old enough that they had been chastened and disciplined by their parents and rebelled against it and stubbornly rebelled and was doing things like going out and getting drunk and reveling and such the like. And so context is important, but what we need to take away from this is that God is just as serious about this commandment as he is about all the other commandments. It's not like God is saying with a wink, children, obey your parents, uh, honor your parents. No, he is saying this with the same weight that he says not to kill, not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to have false images that you worship. This is a command of God, and it carries all the weight of God's word. Well, why is it such a big deal? Well, just to, to call on your memory, if you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when Saul comes back from fighting the Amalekites and Samuel confronts him because he didn't obey God's command, Samuel said this to Saul, that stubbornness is as idolatry and rebellion as witchcraft. And so we have to understand that what God is trying to root out, what God is trying to head off in adolescence is rebellion and stubbornness because he knows that if it's not corrected at that stage in life, that that can take that child straight to hell when they grow up and rebel against God and, and rebel against God's laws. That rebellion is the same as witchcraft in the sense that it rejects God as its final authority. Why does God place such importance on what many consider to be a small issue like disobedience? Well, maybe it's because it's where a child first learns about their relationship 
and their responsibility to their Heavenly Father. Everything about the family structure is divinely designed. We learn later in the book of Ephesians that the relationship between a husband and a wife is the earthly illustration of Christ's relationship with his church. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And so in that marriage relationship, that covenant relationship where two come into a union of one and it pictures the relationship that we have with Christ, God created that on purpose. He also did the same thing with children and with parents. God reveals himself as a father. When Jesus comes, he comes as the only begotten son and he recognizes our father which art in heaven. God is teaching us that we have a certain responsibility and a relationship to him. And if we can learn those things in childhood through our own familial relationships, then it will help us when we get into adulthood and we have to take responsibility for our own relationship with God our Father. God wants us to establish a pattern of obedience instead of a pattern of rebellion. And and so as we think about this and consider what God is saying here, We might ask the question, how is a child supposed to learn to honor and obey their parents? They don't come naturally programmed that way if you're not familiar with them. They come naturally programmed with this thing called a will. And even when they can't even formulate a word, and heaven knows they can't take themselves to the bathroom or cook their own food, they think they're the boss, And they want you to bend to their will. They don't want to bend to your will. What is that? That is the evidence of the sin nature that is within us all. We're all born with a sin nature that desires for us to be in control. So how does a child learn to honor and obey their parents? Well, the same way we learn to honor and obey God our Father, I say this, parents must teach their children as God teaches us. And so uh, God has given this responsibility to kids. And I have uh, said this before. A child's primary responsibility to God is to obey their parents. In that children's church, in that Sunday school, we're not going to talk to them as much about not killing and committing adultery because God has given them the responsibility of obeying mom and dad. And mom and dad set all the other rules. And mom and dad set all the other guidelines and guardrails that come along. I tell you, I believe a child's primary responsibility to God is to obey their parents. And when parents don't help their children do that, they are facilitating rebellion in their children, and they are conditioning them to rebel against God. So how does a parent teach their children to honor them? Well, first, it comes through instruction. 
You've got to teach them. You've got to train them as parents. It's not enough just for us to feed them and clothe them and try to keep them alive to adulthood. We actually need to teach them some things. We need to equip them for life. We need to give them instruction. And in all the instruction that we are giving to them, like don't pick your nose and don't burp out loud and cover your mouth when you cough, we also need to teach them that you're supposed to obey your God-given authority, which is... Your parents. I get this from verses like Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. How am I going to instruct my children to obey their parents and honor their parents? One of the ways I'm going to instruct them is through the word of God. I'm going to try to teach them the word of God from a young age. I want to get that embedded in their hearts and their minds. In fact, the very first verse that all of my children were made to memorize, and they were made to memorize it, was Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so I didn't teach them John 3.16 first. I told them Ephesians 6.1 first. That was their first memory verse to learn. Why? Because I I want them to have that in their hearts and minds. I want them to understand that they have a God-given responsibility, that God actually called them out and said, Children, obey your parents. Why? Because that's where the authority comes from. The authority doesn't come just because I'm older and just because I'm bigger and just because I paid the bills. The authority comes because God has delegated it. That's how all true authority is supposed to come. And I want my children to know that this authority has come from God and that God has given me an assignment as a parent. And while I might not want to do the work that it takes to teach them to obey, I am slacking on my responsibility to God. I'm being disobedient to my Heavenly Father if I don't teach them to do that. Another verse of Scripture that speaks of this is Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. A lot of people like to claim that promise, and, and, and they want to claim, well, you know, I raised him right, and I brought him up in church, and I'm just trusting that the Lord's going to bring them back. But let me tell you something. There is work involved in that little statement, train up a child. You ever try to train a child? They're not easy to train. Uh, I don't want to be insulting to children in the room, but sometimes I, I, I think that zoo animals are easier to program than children will because the zoo animals don't have the intelligence level that children have. And they learn to be deviant and they learn to be somewhat deceptive at an early age. And uh, you might be thinking that it's just my, my crew that uh, I got a bad bunch of them. I, I don't know. I, I think I've lived long enough to see it in all of them that you have children who will go out and do something. And, and I had a parent sharing a story with me not long ago, and they said, well, why did you do this? And the child's response was, well, you didn't tell me not to do this. And so children find a way to work around. Well, I didn't tell you not to jump off of the roof of the house. Does that mean that that's a free reign to go? I didn't, I didn't tell you to take the keys to the car and drive it down to the store when you're 12 years old. No, those aren't personal stories, mind you. But you and I have to understand that it requires work. It requires effort to train up a child. And if someone's going to take on the responsibility of a parent, they've got to take on that responsibility that I, I am here to instruct and to educate. That, that's one way that we teach them to honor and obey. There is another side to the coin, and it's not as popular. That's discipline. God commands that parents discipline their children when they are disobedient. Now, I understand 
I understand that when I say discipline children, that probably conjures in some people's mind everything from spanking with a belt to timeouts to standing in a corner, whatever it may be. There's this whole large spectrum of what we might call discipline. We can't take all that and project it onto what God is saying. In some places, he gives an explicit uh, instruction on what that discipline is, and it's never standing in the corner or having a timeout. But God does tell us that children require discipline. Why? Well, because you cannot affect change, all change, through positive affirmation. Uh, my brother and I had uh, different views on how to raise children. My brother uh, had his degree in psychology, and uh, he, he thought that it's just positive reinforcement. When a child is doing something good, you praise them for it, and they'll do more good. And I contended with him that while I believed in positive affirmation, I also believed that there needed to be negative repercussions when they did something that wasn't wrong. There has to be a deterrent when they have disobeyed. There has to be a disciplinary action that becomes a deterrent to them not to do that again. The Bible says things like this in Proverbs 13, verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him be times. That's old English, I understand. But what it is saying is that, that the parent who never spanks their child, never uses corporal discipline, truly is not really loving them. That's not love. And a lot of times that's why a parent does it. Well, my parents whipped me and my dad went too far, so I determined I'd never whip my kids. Let me tell you something, you're not doing the best thing for your kid when you do that. And as a matter of fact, the, the Bible says that we ought to do it early. He that chases them B times. That means early. You begin early. You know what I discovered about kids is if you just start with rules and you enforce the rules and, and they come to understand that they're joining you, it's easier as they get bigger. But if you put that off till they get to be three, four, five years old, if you put it off till they get eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, heaven help you. It's hard to break those patterns of disobedience and bad behavior and so God tells us part of parenting is correcting sometimes we do have to issue discipline Proverbs nineteen eighteen: chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying are they going to cry oh yes they're going to cry I've seen tears come before the spanking is administered and I've also seen a stone-faced kid after he was spanked who refused to cry. So don't tell me that those children don't know what they are doing with their emotions. Some of them know that if they start crying, they will break your heart and you won't have the heart to go through with it. God says don't spare the rod for their crying. As a matter of fact, he said to chasten thy son while there is hope. What's he mean while there's hope? While they're still formidable. Why they can still be influenced. Why they can still be corrected. You know the awful people that you have to deal with in life sometimes are the product of kids who were never corrected. 
Proverbs 23, verses 13 to 14, Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Now that's not talking about child abuse when the Bible uses that term. It was speaking about discipline that was administered in love and in control by a parent. But you know that verse has always gotten me. It says that if you correct your child, you discipline your child, that you might deliver their soul from hell. There's a lot riding on that. God is saying that a child left uncorrected is in danger of growing up to be a rebellious adult who will one day die and go to hell. Why? Because they didn't learn anything about authority in their formative years. They didn't learn anything about God-given authority. They didn't learn anything about loving discipline and fatherly correction. Proverbs 29, you know, the Bible is not silent on this issue. And for those who want to dismiss it and say, well, I still don't believe that, that we, you know, my precious little angel, I just don't think that, 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 that I should spank them. I'm telling you, read the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Proverbs 29, 17. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give thee delight unto thy soul. You know, everybody wants the product of a disciplined child. Oh, your child is so well behaved. I wish my child was that way. They can be. They can be. It requires instruction, and it requires discipline. That verse got me, too. Because I figured out a long time ago, if I'm going to have kids, I want to enjoy them. I don't want to have a bunch of little monsters that drive me crazy and push me to the edge all the time and make me the worst version of myself that I could possibly be. And the only way, the only way for that not to happen is for me to do my job as a dad, as a parent, and to correct them when they are wrong and to teach them to obey authority and to uh, live in obedience. And when they don't, to apply the discipline, the board of education to the seat of learning, as it is said, and to help them learn these lessons early in life. You know, this teaching is not just relegated to the Old Testament. There's some people who like to say that. Well, that was Old Testament. They were hardcore back then. I mean, there wasn't much grace. Hey, this is one of those commands that's repeated in the New Testament. Uh, look with me, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. In Ephesians chapter 5, at the end, God is speaking to husbands and he is speaking to wives and then in chapter 6, he speaks to children, and then he speaks to fathers. And he says in Ephesians 6, 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. No, God didn't change his mind. Children are supposed to obey their parents. You see, they, they haven't come equipped physically or psychologically or emotionally to be in charge of themselves. God places them under the supervision of parents, of adults, for those formative years of their life because they are not equipped to handle it all on their own. 
And so God gives parents the responsibility to teach them, to train them, to discipline them, to correct them. This commandment is just as necessary and relevant today as it was when it was given. I I would contend, and I know it's an unpopular belief, but I would contend that part of the problem, our world is in the mess that it is in today because there was a major switch in parenting philosophy in the 1950s and 60s and and just grew more liberal from there where we weren't supposed to teach children to obey, that that we were somehow inhibiting their artistic expression by, by not allowing them to take crowns and draw all over the walls of the house. And we began reading books by secularists who, who didn't uh, consult with what God's word said about raising children and we adopted a way of parenting that was unbiblical and now we are living with the product of that you can take a different opinion if you want to but I would challenge you sociologically go back and look at it just take a look at what's changed in our country and our world in these last 50 years and what's changed in those that have come to adulthood and I'm telling you there is a connection between that and biblical parenting As a matter of fact, there's a New Testament passage that parallels the earthly father's role with the heavenly father's role in teaching children to honor and obey. So if you would, go with me one more time to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You say, well, I don't have children or my children are out of the house. How does this apply to me? And when we come to Hebrews chapter 12, God makes the connection for you and I to help us understand that this has everything to do with our relationship with him. You see, unfortunately, not everybody's born with good parents. Can we just say that? Not everybody's born with good parents. Uh, My dad left. You guys know the story. He was not a good parent. Not the worst man that ever lived. He didn't beat me. He, he, he didn't abuse me. Thank God for that. And uh, in some ways, I might be better off because he left. I, I don't know. Uh, other kids I know weren't so lucky, and they lived with parents who were abusive verbally, physically, sexually, uh, emotionally. Not everybody's born with good parents. And the sad thing about that, among the many sad things, is that oftentimes it creates this misunderstanding about God. And if you had a father who was abusive and emotionally distant, and you hear that God is your heavenly father, you may project onto God that he's also abusive and emotionally distant. And when you read scripture and things about him, you you imagine that it's like your dad was and that he is doing things out of anger and not out of love. And God wanted us to create an environment in our home where, yes, there is discipline and there is correction, but it is done in love because not only is that good for that child in their adolescence and only will be good for them to transition into adulthood, but it is actually good for them so that they understand what kind of relationship they have with God as their heavenly father. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. So as unto children. He's given us a simile, if you will. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. 
For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons." Hey, God, as a father, is going to discipline you and I as his sons and daughters because we are his sons and daughters. It is an act of love. If there's never any correction that comes from God, that means there's no connection with God. And I would say that this rings true in life. I don't discipline other people's kids. I discipline my children. God has given me those children, and I love those children, and I want those children to, to be the very best that they can be in life. And I know that if some behaviors aren't corrected, and if some things aren't modified, and I know if, if some weaknesses aren't strengthened, and some passions aren't redirected, then they are on a track for problems in the future. And so as a father, I tune into that, and I address those issues. And I offer instruction, and I offer encouragement, but I also offer discipline and correction at times. Now, here's where it goes a little bit deeper. Verse number 9, he makes the comparison to earthly fathers. And obviously, he has in mind a father who is doing it right, not the abusive father. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, earthly fathers, which corrected us. And we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, after the correction, after the discipline, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, there's a little nugget here in verse 9 that stands out to me, and it is this statement that we had earthly fathers who corrected us and we gave them reverence. We gave them honor. We respected them. That's the product of discipline. As a parent, if you're in the thralls of parenting, I would encourage you in that. And I would say, if you want your child to respect you, if you want your child to reverence you, if you want your child to honor you, then you have to be the authority. You have to exercise the authority that God gave you. It's not always fun. It's not always enjoyable. You don't always want to do it, but you got to do it, and you got to do it consistently, and you got to do it with the communication, explain them why you're doing it. And if you do that, it does result in not them hating you, but in them respecting you. What the writer of Hebrews is pointing out is that this is how it works with God. And so if I have been taught this way as a child and I've been corrected this way as a child, then when I become an adult and I've got this relationship with God and he corrects me, all of a sudden it increases my reverence for him. Oh, yes, that's right. God is my authority. God is in control of my life. God is the one who sets the boundaries. 
He goes on to say that when God corrects us, it is for our profit, verse 10, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Hey, if that's the case, then it's good. If that's the case, then every time God disciplines me, every time God corrects me, it makes me a little more holy. It purifies me. It makes me more like my holy heavenly Father. And I would say I need more holiness. That's why he says it is profitable to those who are exercised by it. And if you're going to bow up when God's disciplining you, you're not going to profit from it very much. But if you allow it to correct you and to melt you and to mold you, then the profit is evident. And then verse 11, it also produces the fruit of righteousness. It produces the fruit of righteousness. Now he reminds us, No chastening, no discipline, no correction is fun. It's not joyous when it's happening. It's unpleasant, right? It's grievous, he says. But it's profitable. Parenting tip, the spanking should hurt. Let me just leave that out there for a moment. Parenting tip, spanking should hurt. Some of you who are going to be parents... And you put that padded diaper on your child's rear end, and then you give them a little swat on the diaper, that's not effective. It's not effective unless it's unpleasant. And obviously there are degrees to that. You've got to understand at what age, what stage, all of that different stuff. But God's Word makes it plain that discipline is not pleasant, it's not fun, but it produces something that is very, very good. And so... If I want my children to reverence God, if I want my children to be holy, if I want my children to be righteous, one of the key ingredients is teaching them to honor and obey mom and dad. You see, God designed humans to be born into a family and to go through the developmental stage of adolescence under the direction and discipline of parents. God did that on purpose, you know. He didn't give you to a village. It doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a family. God created a family. And God designed it so that these little uh, humanoids are not hatched out of an egg, but they are birthed into a family. And in those formative years, they're supposed to be raised under the direction of that family, under that mom and dad, and they are supposed to be disciplined under that same family structure. It's the parent's job to teach their children to obey their God-given authority as preparation for adulthood. And so my child doesn't know that they're supposed to obey me until I tell them, you're supposed to obey me. And I teach them that they're supposed to obey me. And I teach them that they're supposed to obey me because it's for their good. If I tell my child, or as I told my child when they were little, don't play in the street. Don't go out in the street. If they went out in the street, then they'd get a spanking. Was I being mean by spanking them for going in the street? No. What I know about the street is that it's a very dangerous place. That there are cars that are driving by and they can't see a little toddler out there or a little fella on his bicycle. And that they become, they put themselves in a place of of inherent danger if they go out in that street. And so I'm going to take corrective measures. I'm going to discipline. I'm going to spank them. Why? Because that spanking isn't nearly as bad as being hit by a car. 
they'll recover from that spanking. And they'll realize that there's a boundary at this sidewalk, even though there's not a fence that's, uh, that's too high to climb. Dad has set a boundary that says, I don't go beyond this. And if I do go beyond this, there's a negative repercussion for it. Why? Because it's for his good. When I tell the child, don't stick the fork in the, in the outlet in the wall, and I discipline them for that, it's for their good, it's for their protection. The same is true, it is transferring to adulthood so that that child, when they grow up and they read the Bible and God says, do not kill, do not steal, do not commit adultery, they understand that God is giving them an authoritative command that is for their good. What children learn about God-given authority will have an impact on how they respond to God's authority over their life when they become adults. When they're in our home, we have a measure of control. We have an ability to insulate and to protect. But once they fly the coop, once they leave the home, they are on their own. They become autonomous agents of their own. And it is up to them how they respond to God's commands. And if I haven't given them this good baseline in the home of authority and discipline and correction and instruction then I am setting them up for failure in adulthood in their relationship with God. If we allow them to rebel against our parental authority, we are setting them up to rebel against God's authority. But if we teach them to honor and obey us as their parents, then we are helping them to honor and obey God. I understand there's no guarantees on child raising and those children that are raised in the very best homes sometimes grow up to rebel against their raising. But I know this, if God placed children in my home, I'm going to do my very best to follow his orders to raise them the way he said to do it because that's the best hope that I have of them growing up to become Christ followers and obedient sons and daughters of God. And so God gives that as the first command on the second table because if they can get it there, if they can get it there, Listen, it's interesting. It's fun to me being a dad of older kids. I've been there with the little ones, and I watch parents chase them around. And, man, sometimes they get so nervous, and they'll fall down, and sometimes the parents are just beside them. And I, and I, I like to remind them of this. God built them low to the ground so that it doesn't hurt them too bad when they fall. Right? Isn't that true? Very rarely is a toddler going to break a leg or an arm falling. God gave them an elasticity to their bones. God built them low to the ground. He didn't give them much coordination or speed so they couldn't get up a, a good pace before they fail. Why? Because it's going to scuff them a little bit, but they're going to recover from it. The same principle is true when it comes to us teaching our children to honor and obey us. The consequences are small. The injuries are small. The recovery is easy. The consequences are small. But if we can get it there then it protects them when the stakes are higher. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us instruction on all matters in life. Truly, it would behoove us to abandon our own philosophies and to adopt yours when it comes to how we ought to love each other as husband and wives, how we ought to parent our children, how we ought to conduct ourselves in business. 
Lord, truly, you have given us the manual, the handbook for how we ought to do it. And too often, we're like Adam and Eve, thinking that we've got a better plan and that we can do things our own way and it'll work out to our benefit. Never in the history of humanity has that ever worked. And so, Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us, those of us who have the responsibility of raising children, that you would help us, Lord, to be obedient to your command. Help us to be pictures of you. Help us to be parents of love and grace, but also of authority and correction. Lord, I thank you for the godly parents that are represented in this room, and I thank you for those of days gone by. Lord, I pray that there would be a revolution in our country, a return to biblical methods of parenting. Lord, I pray that you would be with the children that are in homes that are not populated by good parents. Lord, I pray that you would send people into their lives who would show them a picture of what a heavenly, loving father is like and that the waters might not be tainted by an abusive one. Well, Father, there is so much to think about and to pray about when it comes to children. Lord, I'm so thankful to know that you love each and every one of them, that you, Lord, would will judge those who mistreat them. As you said one time on the earth, it is better for a millstone to be hanged about a person's neck than for them to obstruct that child from coming to you. Lord, I know that you take this all very seriously, and I pray that we would too. And I pray and ask, Lord, that you would help us to be agents of your mercy, your grace, your love, your instruction. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.